there's a follow-through to what happened 2,000 years ago. This isn't just about we celebrate some life that Jesus gave and some hope that we're going to have in the future that when this life is over, we're going to be with him. There is kind of a dash between the day you were born and the day you die. There's a dash between the day you were born again and the day you're going to be taken home. That dash can be summed up with a word, suffering. Everybody comes in here in a position in life, whether you're struggling through challenges and difficulty right now, which inflicts pain on you, and overextended day in, day out, week in, wake out, categorizes suffering. Suffering is just this thing that's been imposed on us in this world that we're living in that we can't seem to escape. Don't we see suffering in our lives? We see it in the world. We, we were just reminded this past week of flooding in was it Libya and earthquakes in Morocco, lives lost. On a global scale, that can make us go like, what is this? Like, where's there hope in any of this? Or if you bring it down to what we see in our country and you look at the bigger picture of politics and cultural strife and you go, man, all of these things which aren't right, they just, ugh, it's so ugly and it brings such darkness and it inflicts pain. People, decisions of power, make, make those decisions, and they're making them to suit their own position, not caring so much about what it does to the effect on people that are going to have to live it out. Pain, suffering. In your family, maybe you had a mom and a dad that maybe weren't the best mom and dad. They're not going to be in the Hall of Fame of parenting. Maybe they were really horrible, and they did some things to you that even you move down the road decades later, you're still kind of trying to get out underneath the shadow of suffering because of the pain that was inflicted on you. Maybe you're a spouse here today. You walked in and your, your spouse walked out. Man, pain, suffering. I'm not trying to go down. I'm just trying to say, isn't this kind of what we all, we can put a smile on our face, we can dress up, put a suit and tie on, but behind the smile and the tie, we go, man, life is just, it's hard. It's not easy. This is difficult. You know what I love about the Bible? It's so real. The Bible speaks to life as it really is. There is direct correspondence between what you read in the Bible and where we find ourselves living day in and day out. You look at Noah and the day that he was born, he had some suffering. Imagine the darkness that we think is bad today doesn't come close to what it was when God grieved over making man because the suffering was so bad. Noah had to live in the middle of all of that. And practically, Noah had to get on an ark and live in a a box with a bunch of animals. Imagine all the animals that we know today. They all came out of that box. And inside that box, you know what they did? Business. And Noah and his family were stuck in that box. Practically, there was some suffering that went on in there. You look at Joseph in the Old Testament. Here was a guy, God's hand of blessing on his life. Joseph, all he did was have a dream and tell some people about it. And he started suffering in an incredible way. Brothers became jealous. Brothers try to kill him. Then they sell him off into slavery. He goes into slavery. He's trying to do his thing, not being thrown off by the challenge that he's facing. And what happens? Some woman who starts to lust after him, lies about him. Now he gets thrown in jail. He goes from a frying pan into a fire and he spends years just wasting away in some prison when he had had some vision of some great thing that would come. Suffering? That's suffering. Prophets, they got killed for holding on to a truth that they were trying to proclaim that would actually turn the hearts of God's people back to God. You do that and you get killed for it? Suffering. And you don't see any change in the New Testament. You see it in, you have 12 disciples, 11 of them get martyred. 
But then he really shouldn't catch us by surprise because when you look at a Savior who was put on a tree, you go, man, even he had to suffer. In fact, I would argue today that that's why he came, because he can't take the suffering. He entered into our suffering because he wanted to do something about it. You know, before he went to a cross, he said to his disciples, he said in John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you are going to have such difficulty. See, he was trying to build into their outlook as they would go on and they would have to one day watch him get crucified and then wonder like, where in the world is this going to go? He had to try to stiffen up their heart and, and, and shore them up and say, no, 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 I've overcome. You don't get it now. But they're suffering, and it's going to come, and it's going to come in a way that is going to test your faith. But in faith, you got to ground yourself. You got to get the right outlook on this. You got to understand that I have overcome. How did he overcome? Before the cross, what hope did they have? Like, okay, Jesus, I got to take heart that he overcame. Overcame what? Well, through his life that we just celebrated, he overcame sin. He overcame judgment. Those that put their hope in him, They took an old life that would be separated from God forever, and it was put in a grave along with him. Out of that grave, he came out with the keys to the kingdom of God. What we had forfeited over in this world and given over to Satan and and abdicated our position of responsibility to trust God for the world that he had made, we say, no, we lose our position. Satan comes in, takes over, and what happens from there? The world goes in a hole. And Jesus came to pull the world out of a hole. So out of a grave and out of the hole that we had to put him in, he comes out with life. He comes out with power. And he comes out with the ability, having been seated at the right hand of the Father, to impart life to you and I. How did he overcome? He overcame a grave. But the greatest thing he was able to do by taking on the grave and taking on your sin and taking on your judgment was to impart to you his spirit. His life is your inheritance. It's what we receive from Jesus and it's what we live out of until we see him face to face. I want to talk to you today about hope through suffering. God wants to give you hope through suffering. That doesn't make any sense. You go, how in the world do I muster up a twisted perspective of life that I can actually start to embrace this and see it as something good? Well, I would say that if he could do it through a guy and for a guy, By the resurrection life that we're talking about today, the follow-through of Jesus on the cross is Jesus on the throne. And Jesus on the throne, giving you and I his life, is what we're now talking about. How do we make it through the dash? How do we make it through the suffering? We make it through, not on our own accord, we make it through on his. And the more we give amplification to that, the more we try to magnify that truth. That's why we're looking today, and it's why we went to even celebrate communion. We're we're trying to amplify these truths that are life. And I'm grateful for a, a life that's been buried, but I am more grateful for a life that can now be lived. Are you grateful today for the life that you've received? If you've received that life today, can you put your hand up? And if your hand is up, I don't care what you came into this building with. If you've come in here in some sort of need and you've put your hope in Jesus, take heart. He's overcome. And so have you. Because the same spirit that helped him to overcome is the same spirit in his flesh that is in yours. His spirit, his life is with you. 
to bring the same victories that he brought for Jesus, he longs to bring for you. That's why he's with you. He knows you can't do this on your own. So you look at Paul, the apostle, in a letter to the Corinthian church in the second book of Corinthians, in the 11th chapter. Listen to this. He says this. You want to talk about suffering? So I've worked much harder than all of you. I've been in prison way more than you've been in prison. I've been flogged, beaten more severely, been exposed to death in more instances and more times. Five times he was whooped to the point where he could have died. And it says, what it says, five times received from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. They didn't whip somebody 40 times because the last one often killed people. It happened to him five times. Imagine what his back looked like. Imagine the suffering that he bore in his flesh. That's crazy. He says, I've been shipwrecked night and day in the open sea. You continue to read this and you're just like, that's crazy. Like who could do that? Nobody can do that. But the spirit of God in somebody can do that. And if Paul could muster up the ability to push through all of those obstacles while he's trying to do something good, he came to do something like good in the hood of the people in his day. He came to try to make real to them the love of God in his life and sacrificing what he was. He was just trying to see love break through. And what did he get for it? A back that looked like that? Scars, beatings, stoned to death? Actually, think commentators think that he actually died. And was prayed over and brought back to life. Maybe in that encounter is when he had got caught up in heaven. Jesus said, I had to give you this because you got a whole lot more beating that's going to be before you. And I got to encourage you before I send you back. But he comes back and he continues on. Nothing can stop him. There's a force inside of him that no suffering in the world could halt. I want that kind of life in me. It's not in me naturally, but I thank God it's been given to me because of what we just celebrated. That same life is in you today. How many of you, by show of hands, have come in here with some kind of expression of suffering? Come in any form. Give me physically. All right, we got a lot of people here. Give me something in your body. I was telling the church earlier, my mother, she, she got cancer seven years ago, and they gave her about a month, two months to live. They were like, this most aggressive form of leukemia that you could get, blood cancer. And they're like, this is done. She doesn't have a will. You got to get this thing straight because this is over. The doctor's like, there's, there's really no hope here. My mother, she's like, no, I've been doing this too long. I know God. I know his word. Jesus is my healer. Maybe he takes me home. Maybe he doesn't. But if you think I'm living by some word of a doctor, no, I'm going to stand on what I know to be true. <laughs> Guess how long she's been standing? Seven years. Next month makes seven years of her diagnosis. So the ability that God has given us because of the deposit that he's put in us is able to keep us. We have to develop a theology of that. Like when Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome, he's asking us to consider, wait, how how do I encourage my soul? How do I think this thing right so that I can set myself up to trust the Savior so he can prove that he's going to overcome in my life? We got to think that through. And I think This next portion of scripture helps us to apply this reality of his life in us in a way that will inspire us today to trust him to do that for whatever things we're trying to fight through in the moment. In the same chapter that I was reading from before, in chapter 5 of Romans, it continues on and it says this. Not only so, talking about 
we're supposed to be like boasting and glorifying and rejoicing in all that Jesus has done. He says, not only so, but we also should glory in our sufferings. We're supposed to glory in our sufferings. Who in the world glories in your sufferings? Just stop for a second and say, wait, I like pain. This is awesome. I like pain extended over several months and several years. Like, wow, I can't, this is amazing. I was telling, <laughs> I was telling the church earlier what a baby I am. I was down in the Dominican Republic on a uh, mission trip, and I was in this church, best rice and beans. Sorry, anybody that comes from a country where you make rice and beans, but the best rice and beans I've ever had was in the Dominican Republic. And in this little church, these church mothers were throwing down some food, and they had some rice and beans, and they had some pork, and they, they just kept bringing the food, and I just kept eating it. <laughs> and when they put this pork that was kind of ground up, on my plate, I just was like, oh, oh, this is so good. And I was like, bring some more. And as I bit down, I cracked my tooth in half because they left a bone in there. It was a little tiny bone, but it was bad enough that it literally split my tooth kind of at an angle. And it, it wouldn't come out because it went down into my, my gum, but it, it just cracked my tooth almost like in half. It was, it was really painful. Suffering a little bit. But I came back. And I go to the dentist, and when I go to the dentist, he goes, okay, well, this is the most important tooth in your mouth because it was a far-back molar. He goes, we got to save it. And to save it, here's the bad news. I got to, like, split your gum open and then go down to your jaw and begin to carve out your jaw so that I can get enough tooth that I can grab a crown on. And I'm like, well, whatever, okay, this stinks, but I'd rather do that than potentially have to have the thing pulled and then... What do you give implants? I don't know. I was just like, whatever, just do your thing. So when I sit down in the chair, the guy numbs me. He's like, how do you feel? I go, I feel good. And then he started working on me. And I was like, oh, he's like, well, that shouldn't have happened. So let me do it again. So he gives me a couple more shots. And then he starts back at it. I'm like, oh, I don't know that, that, that is, I was, I was like ready to punch him. <laughs> Stop. Like, no, he's like, you shouldn't feel that. This guy numbed everything from like here back to here, from here down to here. He, he was numbing my toe trying to get my tooth to not hurt. Not exaggeration. I think it was at least, it was at least 12, it was maybe 14 shots that he gave me. And I still felt it. All I can tell you is I sat for hours in that chair while that guy carved what he needed to carve. I, I was in such pain. I was like, I don't want to go back, but I had to go back. And after I go back, he works on it for the second time, and he's numbing me up. I'm like, you remember the last time, right? Could you find the spot? I'll try. So he tries, and he he had to numb me uh, uh, almost as many times again. And after he finished it, I was like, I will never, I don't care if my teeth fall out. (laughs) By the way, I'm from West Virginia. That's where they invented the toothbrush. How do you know that? Because we only got one tooth in West Virginia. Otherwise, if they would have been in New York, they would have said teeth brush. <laughs> I was totally okay with having one tooth. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to experience that pain again. You know what I have to go do tomorrow? I got to go get a root canal. And so I'm sweating right now just thinking about it. You think I, it's not, I'm like, I'm serious. I'm just like, I'm already tense. Everything in me is like, oh God, just make it easy. 
We run from pain, you run from pain. It makes no sense for Paul to say we're supposed to glory in our sufferings. It's not intuitive, it's counterintuitive. It makes us say, well, this is, this is nuts. But oftentimes in spiritual life, the kind of the reverse of what we think is what brings life. But how do you get to a place where you lean in to saying, I don't know, I think that's a good thing. Let's, let's consider the, the suffering, let's consider the pain. Well, I think, for me, uh, understanding that it's just, it's part of life, it's part of a fallen world, which, by the way, God did not design. Whatever pain you're going through today is not something of his making, it's something of our making. The Bible says that God made everything perfect. Creation was balanced. When God made everything, there was an order to it. And when he turned it over to you and I to rule over on his behalf, it would only stay as it was as long as we trusted him for what he said. In his love, he made us out of love, for love. The order that he set up in our creation was something that would add value and blessing to us, not take from us. But when we said, you know what, not your way, my way, and when the reality of sin became real in our lives and God had to retreat from us, we were left into a world with a vacuum of our own creation. And the decisions that we made unraveled everything. And the pain that we feel and the suffering that we experience is the result of when we fight against his way. When we fight against his way and it starts to like, somebody could be here and you, you, you lost a family member. If you lose a family member, well... God, where are you in this? God's saying, this is not what I intended. I never intended anybody to be lost and have to be separated in this life. It's what, not, not maybe the person, I'm not saying the person, we're just talking in a general way. When you lose somebody, God weeps over the loss along with you. But what he's trying to do through the suffering is remind you, like, Please don't try to figure this out. Please, I'm the only one who knows how the thing is set up. I'm the only one that can help you with what is. Would you trust me? Would you allow the pain to grab your attention, to wake you up, so that instead of looking around, instead of looking within, you can look to the only one who can help you. And if you'll look to him, he'll come and he'll comfort you and he'll help you. But I said all that just to say, God didn't create this world in a way that we know. We've made it into what it is. And so... We have the ability, and God in his love, he sent his son into the world to be a reminder to us. And trying to break through the pain and the suffering that we've created, he sent his son into the world to say, will you look to me? Love will never impose itself on somebody. Somebody has to receive it. Somebody has to look to it. Somebody has to say, yes, amen, I I want this. If you've been abused in some way and you're listening to me, if somebody tries to continue to force themselves on you in some inappropriate way, you wouldn't interpret that as love. It would make you bristle and make you say, get away from me. This isn't loving. God knows that, and that's why he's never going to impose himself on anyone. But he invites us. Come on, trust me. I'll take care of what stands in the way. I'll get rid of the sin, and then I'll send my son into the world to come alongside you to help you through the mess. But you have to, you have to see this right. You have to actually believe that it's, it's, it's good that I can work out of this bad. Imagine, God can work good out of everything that's off. And so he does in this position, but it comes down to, are we going to size up? Are we going to glory in? Are we going to, in a different way, I won't go to the scripture, but it's a scripture that I would use to maybe refer, when Paul is saying here, like, glorify in the sufferings, glory in the sufferings. In another chapter, 
2 Corinthians in the 12th chapter, Paul talks about this position that he was put in where he began to glory in his weakness. See, the difficulties and the sufferings of our life, they can either make us kind of double down and like, I'm not trusting anybody, I got this, or they can break us where they make us realize I need him and I can't do anything apart from him. In fact, the suffering can be the thing that brings us back to a position of dependency that brings his blessing on our life. We were made by him, we were made for him, and he is the one who gives us what we need so that we can live. But if we live independent, there's not much he can do. And the suffering becomes a megaphone, like Paul was saying in that letter. It becomes something that arouses me to say, no, not in my own ability, but in his, in the resurrection life that he's given me. His power will be perfected in my life as I lean in through the suffering, into his grip, into his arm, and say, help me. When I do that, what is he able to do? He gives resurrection life. And the same resurrection life that conquered and defeated a grave is this, and that's the, that's the greatest power anybody knows. The greatest suffering we would know is to be separated from God. And if he could conquer that power, what power in your life right now that you've brought in here that you're suffering through, can he not conquer and defeat? The same resurrection life lives inside of you. The question is, in your mindset, are you in a position where you say, yes, I I'm weak here. I'm going to glory and I'm going to delight in even the suffering that I'm going through because it's putting me in a place where I realize I can't do it and I don't want to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Paul, in this letter, he says to the Romans, I glory in my suffering. I hope today you've got a different perspective on your suffering and how you can lean into it and how you can actually use it to trust God for the life that he would give. But he goes on to say that this suffering produces perseverance. See, because suffering doesn't just, it's not a one-off. If it's real suffering, it's not just in a moment. It kind of carries on, like my toothache or like some of the things I've struggled with over my life in faith, trying to trust God to help me to overcome. God, I know that I'm not supposed to do these things. Why do I keep on doing them? I hate this flesh that you've given me. If this is real, then give me strength to overcome. Why, God? That's not a a prayer I've prayed in a day. That sometimes has played out for years. I've said this once or twice. It took me, and I'm not proud about this. I'm ashamed of it. It took me four years to stop drinking. Plus, and I would cry about it. Jesus, where are you? But can I tell you this? Through that challenge, through that trial, through that was suffering, putting my flesh to death, That was pain. You know, Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Daily, if we're going to go after him, if we're going to let his life come alive in us, that means we have to put the death, the things that come natural. If you don't think that's painful, you haven't started walking the Christian life. That's painful, miserably painful. But do you know what the misery taught me over years? He's with me through it. I fall down. He's with me to get back up. And so I went from doing it a lot to doing it Every so often, they're doing it a little bit to, to, to not doing it at all. It's been f- over 30 years since I, I've found myself jacked up and trapped in something that had a command on me. Now, how was I helped? Take a look at this passage. I think it'll speak to us from James, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4. This puts perspective on the per- perseverance. James, the brother of Jesus, he says this. He says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trial of many kinds. Imagine, consider it a joy. I'm supposed to get a smile on my face when I get a pink slip saying, go home, there's your stuff. Leave. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to rejoice in the fact that I got some terrible doctor's report? No, that's, that's a little weird. But in my heart, okay, God's 
God's moving. He's doing something. He's trying to, he's trying to do something good in this position. He's already promised he'll do all things toward a good end as I trust him. So what am I, what am I trying to build up here? I'm trying to build up an anticipation as we learn from that passage to this passage that there is something good that's coming out of whatever the trial is you're facing because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance let, that's a, that's a, that's a command. Like you, you got to let it work itself out. It doesn't just happen because you suffer. It doesn't happen just because you're walking through it. You actually have to work with it. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's the ultimate end of this? You're supposed to be a Christian who stands strong in their faith, unwavering, like Abraham, the father of the faith. Was he always like two feet locked in? Like I, he's not moved? No, if you read his life and his story, even though he's the one that we kind of model our faith after, if you watch him, sometimes he was up, sometimes he was down. Sometimes when he went into a, an area where there was a, a, a king who was powerful and was able to like kill him if he wanted, he had a, his wife who was beautiful. He was like, baby, just say you're my sister because I don't want to die. But then the king comes along and says, you know what? I want her for a wife. She'll be part of my harem. Well, the father of faith, was he standing strong? No. Should he have not been? God has to keep her because that's the one he's going to use as my wife to bring the promise to pass. Shouldn't he have had faith for that? He had to grow in it. But when you fast forward to his life and you get to the end of it, he's, he's in a position after having waited on a promise for 25 years, after some say 12 years, some say add another A, could have been 20 years, he could have been a man at some point. But Abraham has to take his son up a mountain. God says, listen, I want you to go sacrifice him. You want me to sacrifice the promise that you gave me? Yep. Okay, let's go, God. Packs his bags, tells his son, let's do this. They, they walk up to Mount Moriah, and when they get to the top, he's, he's not stopping. All right, boy, you got to lay down here. God said, I got to sacrifice you. I can't imagine saying that to my son. But listen, take heart, because whether I kill you or don't kill you, you're going to make it out of this because you're the living promise that God gave me. All right, wrap the boy up, pull out a knife. I mean, that seems kind of intense, doesn't it? That wasn't for God's benefit. That was for Abraham. That was for Abraham's son. That was for you and I. God needs us because he loves us. He needs us to get to a place where, like Abraham, we don't waver. And if you read about Abraham's life in Romans, in the early chapters, he, he goes, he was unwavering in his faith. Was he really? No, he was kind of up and down. But God looks at the big picture of what he's trying to do to get somebody to a position where they won't waver. And by the time he was checking out of this world, he was unwavering in his faith. And I'm telling you, in your life, God wants you to be unwavering. But what do you have to do to get to that position? You've got to persevere. Oh, what's so special about perseverance? It's really hard. It's like something we don't want to do. Beginning of the year, when you have your little pledges that you make for the year, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to spend $500, go to the gym, go once, and hope that that makes a difference for the year. <laughs> doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. And yet, sometimes I think in our life, we feel like spiritual things are just a one-off and we can be done and we move on. And God's saying, no, no, I need to embed. You've got sin and unbelief so embedded into your soul that it didn't get there overnight, and it's not going to get worked out overnight. I've given you my spirit, but my spirit is with you as you trust in what's true to work this thing into you. 
That's how it works. There is no shortcut to it. If some of you are struggling with sin and you feel like, oh, let me just come to the altar, I'm gonna have some pastor pray for me, and all the struggle that I have is just gonna finish right there. It's not gonna, you're not gonna have to trust Jesus. No, you're gonna have to trust Jesus. You might come forward and somebody might pray for you, and there might be some kind of breakthrough in your life for that issue, but then guess what? You got other issues that are related to your faith that he's going to have to work out where it's not somebody else doing something for you. It's you grinding it out. Go to the gym every day. Well, what's, what's our spiritual gym? If we're actually going to, what, what we're talking about here is faith. We're talking about faith becoming unwavering because faith is what opens our life to receive the grace of God. Without faith, it's impossible to get anything from God. It's impossible to receive things that'll consistently make a difference in your life without trusting him. So He has to use the challenge and the suffering that we go through like a megaphone to arouse our attention to say, I can't do this on my own. I need him. But then as I need him, it's not just in a moment. It's through our life. And the more consistent that we become in depending upon him, the more we're establishing strength of faith. Exercising faith today helps the faith that I'm going to exercise tomorrow. What's it take, like six weeks to get in shape physically? If you're a trainer in here, I think I've heard that somewhere. It can take a week to get out of shape. I think that's true too. Imagine the effort. It takes no effort to get out of shape, but it takes a lot of effort to get in shape. And some of you go to the gym and you kind of look at yourself and you're like, I'm in shape and I want everybody to see it. And God is saying, are you in shape? And do I want anybody to see it? God longs for you. He longs for you to see love made alive in you. But if you have a mentality of it's just some little quick fix and I'm done, you're, you're not biblical. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to impress the Bible into the understanding that you have so that you can receive from him. And if you fall down today, the Bible says a righteous man gets back up and carries on. So it's not about the falling, it's the getting up. And it's the continual getting up and it's the continual investing into whatever challenge you're facing that helps your faith to become unwavering. Abraham eventually got it. And he's an example to us. If he can get it, how much more should we get it on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, where Abraham was a friend of God and he received some amazing promises from him. But you and I, you and I, have we not got something greater? As great as John was, you're going to be greater. Because the least in the kingdom of God is going to be greater than him. So God on this side has given you his spirit. And he says, I'm with you. He's given you a spirit that will make Jesus alive to you in every situation. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He's instructing you in the way that you're supposed to go. He's using your circumstances in your life to tailor in an experience that's going to ensure that your faith becomes unwavering because he so cares in such intimate ways about your life and what you're becoming. He's invested his glory into you, and so he is all in. And he's saying, are you? Day in and day out, are you? I want to be more all in. I want to persevere. Do you? I hope you do. Why? Why do we want to persevere? Why do we need to persevere? Because there's character that has to take shape. What doesn't break you just makes you stronger. Like, you got to be strong. You got to be strong in life. You got to have character. Not the kind of character we're talking about. The kind of character that we're talking about is the life of Jesus. It's Jesus being seen in you. Jesus being seen through you. If he's leaving you here, it's so that you can grow in faith to receive more of his life so that you can reflect it more in the world that you're in. Character, what is it? You, know, you, can, you can talk about what's, what's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's the nature, it's the likeness of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
self-control. These are things that when people look at us, they're not like one-off things like, I really need to work on my, my peace today. I really need to work on my love. Well, maybe, but it really is just a composite of this is who Jesus is. And when people look at us, that's what they're supposed to see. They're supposed to see somebody that's peace-filled. Well, how do you get peace? You got to walk through a world that takes it from you. How do you get good at being peaceful? You got to stand with the Spirit of God to trust Him that He designed this thing, it's working out for good, and that He has the ability to keep you no matter what would try to rob you of that joy. Didn't Jesus say, I give peace that the world can't take away? Well, have you lost your peace today? Maybe you have. I'm not downing you. I'm just saying, persevere, push through, get up, keep trusting Him. Because when you do that, that's where His life begins to surface. And all the things in you that get in the way of that life surfacing can be seen. There's a picture, I've heard it, I've read it, of a silversmith. When a silversmith is going to try to work with a, a piece of silver, got to get the thing pure. But to get it pure, you got to hold it over a fire. Not just any part of the fire, like the hottest part of the fire. Silversmith knows how long to hold that little piece of silver over the hottest part of the fire to watch the thing melt, to watch the thing begin to boil or do whatever it does. And do you know what happens? The more it's held over that heat, the more the stuff that's inside of it that doesn't belong there comes to the surface. And when it comes to the surface, he gets rid of that. And then he throws it back on the fire to see if anything else will come back up. And he keeps putting it over the fire and he keeps putting it over the most intense part of the flame so that what's left can be pure. And do you know how he knows it's pure? He looks into it and he sees himself. Jesus, maybe has you in a fire today? I'm sure this world has you in a fire. Jesus promised we'd have all kinds of things that would test us. He's with you. Trust him through it. He's trying to work out stability in your faith so that he can consistently give you his grace. Well, how do you trust him for his grace? He's the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. I am what? Whatever you need. The Bible says this and we're done. This is in 2 Corinthians 3rd chapter, 18th verse. And it says, and we all, believers, who with unveiled faces, because now there's no more separation between us and God. With unveiled faces, we can see and contemplate the Lord's glory. What I'm trying to get you to do today is contemplate the glory that you've received. You're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, all right? That process of perseverance. And the more you trust him, the more you stand with his presence inside of you, looking to who Jesus is for the need that you have. You do it one day, you do it two before you know it. He gives freedom, yes, he gives freedom. How do I know that? Well, I, I'm trusting him and I have, I have more freedom today than I did yesterday. And as I continue to trust him, I'm gonna have complete freedom potentially tomorrow. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How does this happen? Happens as you behold him. Jesus is in your situation. In fact, his very life and his presence is with you through the circumstance you're in right now. What's your circumstance? I don't know in a room like this, it's everything, it's anything. Somebody's got some besetting sin that they're trying to get freedom from, like I was talking about in my own life. Guess what? He's already set you free. He's tried to help you to walk into it. If you want to turn from it today and look at him and say, no, he's my righteousness. He is my holiness. He's not asking me to become holy. Jesus, I'm looking into the face of your holiness. Now, as I look at you, would you, would you make that real in me? Would you get this garbage out of the way so that as you behold me and I behold you, what people see is your holiness? There's a guy who's sitting in here, and I'll end with this testimony. I'd like to give him the, phone, or the microphone. He could come up and give it, but he's a guy who came out of a 
wildlife. There was all kinds of craziness going on. A few years ago, he's like, you know what? Jesus is real. I'm going for it. So he moves to New York, gets settled in, and as he's trying to trust Jesus, there's all kinds of things that start uh, kind of, he, he starts being confronted with. The apartment he's living in, he can't live in anymore because he didn't have mo- enough money for it. The, the visa that he has, he's not sure because of the complications of how he got it. He's not even sure if they're going to renew it. He doesn't have a job. How's that going to work out? I, I, who knows? He, it, it's like all of the support that he might be able to lean into one by one just gets taken from him. Suffering? No, he knew, he knew Jesus was real because Jesus did something in him. He, he could celebrate, you know, I've been forgiven of my sins and I've received new life. But now as he's trying to walk that life out and he's trying to become mature in his faith, what does God do to mature him? He puts a little cocktail of suffering before him and Taylor makes it for his life so that he can get him to a place where he can understand that God can be trusted. So I've been praying with him from time to time, encourage him as we talk. You, you got it. God's gonna, he's got to provide for you. God's got to make a way for you. He has a plan for your life. It's not, it's not a visa. It's him. It, it's not where you're going to land. He's going provi- to provide for you. Whatever his need was, Jesus said, I am. Just trying to remind him of that. He's trying to remind himself of it. But the discouragement, the suffering, that's not easy. When you have to die to try to make the thing work for yourself, when that's all you know to do, and that makes sense, common sense. No, I got to die to that because Jesus is going to do something for me? Yeah, bro, that's how it works. Resurrection life comes when you stop. So I was talking to him yesterday. How you doing? What's going on? Guess what? My visa got approved. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. Praise God. He's gotten a job. Praise God. He's able to take care of himself in a consistent way. And he told me this, and this, is just, this wasn't just for him. This is for all of us. God cares about you. He cares about your suffering. He's working with you, in you, through your circumstances to prove it to you. Do you know how he proved it to my friend? He he has a job, but not enough money to maybe take care of himself and have an apartment like he would like to have. But there's a father in heaven who loves him that's already given him the greatest gift that he's received, his son Jesus. And if he would bless him with that, what good thing would he withhold? So as he's trying to find an apartment... He starts playing the lottery. I'm not talking about the one that you can get next door at the deli. He plays the housing lottery. Hundreds of thousands of names put in. Do you know he just found out this past week that he got an apartment that would be a $5,000 apartment for $740. In a brand new high-rise building that, like, who gets into there? Not somebody with the kind of job that he's got but somebody with the kind of father that he's got. But what's interesting about the story is this. Out of the hundreds of thousands of people on the list, guess what his number was? Number one. And I don't think that's by accident. I think that was God with all the wrestling that he's trying to do, with all the fighting and the struggle and the pain and the confusion and where is God and does he love me? Does he see me? Is his eye upon me? Yes for the visa. Yes for the job. But like a cherry on the cake. Yes. My eye is on you. I can sift through 100,000 names and see you and put you in the position that I want you to be in. Will you trust me? And that's a question that I leave you with today. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but 
God's love goes so far beyond what we even understand. Like, he is so good. He is so good. Do you believe that? And if you do, would you build a theology that will enable you to stand today and into your tomorrow? If he would give you his son so that he could give you his spirit, so that you would be led in the way that he's purposed for you, that he made you for. Can you see the plan that's playing out right now as something that he might not have authored sickness and disease, but he's trying to use the suffering that comes out of it to draw your attention to you so that you'll put your confidence in him and say, I will not live on anything else. Living on everything else is what created the mess and the suffering of this world, and it's what will continue to create the mess and the suffering of your life. But if you use the suffering to say, I will not trust in myself anymore. There is a God who loves me. There is a God who is with me. And there is a God who is walking with me so that I can become mature. I can be like Jesus. I can know his love. I've had to work through it in people and relationships. I've experienced his peace. Circumstances can't take away. His life is very presence within me is joy to me. I don't care what I'm facing. I've seen people weep through or or rejoice through tears because his presence with them guarantees it works out well. So even before I see it through my tears, I can rejoice and be grateful. That's what I want for you today because that's what God wants for you today. If you're a Christian today, God is with you. But I want to start here. If you're not, there is a God. I hope you've made sense of the things that I've said. I hope that you understand through the communion what's been said and through all that Jesus has done that God is. He's in love with you. And he wants you to know his love because that's what you were made for. Coming to a church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're living and existing doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. That only comes by Jesus' admission through him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Unless you put your hope in the truth that I tried to explain earlier, you might believe in God, but you're not in relationship with him. Is there anybody here today that needs to begin that relationship? The weight of this world, sin that's been imposed on you, sin that you've engaged in, doing it your way, has left you hopeless. It's left you in a position of suffering and pain. God wants to meet you. He wants to take the burden from you. And he wants to give you something in exchange, his very life and presence that will make it so much easier. Not perfect, not without difficulty. Is there anybody here that needs to do that? This is where it gets uncomfortable. Because you have to, you have to want it. You have to reach out for it. And if that's you, God is waiting to meet you. Sister, that's where she is today. Is that where you are today? If you've never received that, I'm going to encourage you. There's nothing special about coming down here, but there is special about the God who will meet you as you stand in faith to say, recognize my life. If you're on the balcony and you're making that decision, I'm going to ask you to come down right now. But this isn't a message primarily spoken to people that have never received that life. This is a message I've tried to speak to believers. As a believer, if there's a lot of hands that went up before If you're going through some suffering, some trial that is just eating your lunch, you put your hand up before, I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to ask you to join us down here. We're going to pray over you. 
We're going to pray with you. We're going to listen to you. We're going to call on God alongside you. Come on, you can come forward. There's going to be some people that come. There's a lot of people that had your hand up going through some stuff earlier. If you've been encouraged by the truth that I've reminded you of today, we got to trust God for it. Most important part of this meeting is not some sermon I preached. It's what you do with the truth that's been presented to you. If you hold on to that truth, you'll come to know the life that's in it. If you don't, guess what? You miss it. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because he's not forcing himself on anyone. You can go ahead and scoot over here if you would. Come on over. If you're up in the balcony and you're going through a trial and you need Jesus to comfort you today, come on down. Can we pray two ways? Can we pray along with the folks just as a congregation that are coming forward to say, I want to know, I want to know who Jesus is as the Savior. Can we all just pray together in a way of just supporting them? You're already a Christian, I understand this isn't doing anything different. It's just a way of affirming them. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the gift of your Son and all that he's done to give me a record that's perfect and true and taken from me the judgment that should have been us. Forgive us for trusting in our way. We trust in yours. As we depend upon you today, make your life real in us. Help us to walk with you and talk with you so that we can become like Jesus in all that we do. Can we just take a second? I want to thank God. The Bible says that in heaven, when one person puts their hope in Jesus, there's a celebration. Can we thank God for the lives that have come forward to trust him? Now, I want to pray for the rest of us. God is with you today. I'm just reminding you of that. But you need to remind yourself of it. And you need to, just in a a prayer right now, would you just begin? I'm not going to lead you in this prayer. Just may it come from your own heart. God, thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Thank you that you'll never forsake me. Thank you that you've given me your spirit that'll lead and guide me, instruct me in all things right and true. Thank you that you're going to empower me to walk with you through the challenges and the valleys of life. As you thank him for what he's done, can you thank him for how he's going to help you to persevere? Jesus, we thank you today. Thank him. Thank you that you're going to help us to overcome. Thank you that you're using even things maybe you didn't create, but things you're using, God, to help us be mindful that we can't do it on our own and that you're with us to empower us to take one step after another. And God, as my brothers and sisters are in the difficult places that they're in, I thank you that they're not alone. And I even thank you for the place that they're in because it's teaching them more of what it means to not waver in their faith. And God, in this place where they're standing today and saying, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Trust him for what you need. If it's peace, trust him for that peace. If it's deliverance, trust him for that deliverance. If it's provision, trust him for that provision. 
If it's direction, trust him for that direction. Whoever Jesus needs to be to you right now, he is the great I am. Can you thank him for who he is? And can you begin to trust him for what he promises? Do that even now. You can do it through an applause. You can do it through opening up your mouth. Jesus, you're my deliverer. You will deliver me. I thank you for how you're going to do that. Jesus, as we behold you today, we thank you that soon enough as we continue to do our part, you're going to see the reflection coming back from us, a reflection of glory, a reflection that allows you to see yourself in us, but that the world, God, you've got us here that we would know you, that we might reflect that image to this world because there's a world that we're connected to that's suffering. There's a world that we're connected to that needs to be relieved of its pain. And you've put the life of your son in my friends that as they go into the highways and byways of their life, they would be able to make his life and his love alive and real in others. As you've done it for them, so you'll do it through them. God, we thank you for these things and all that you've done today to encourage us, to inspire us. We trust you now that Jesus be glorified. We all say amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God for his faithfulness. He's going to be faithful. You're going to make it. He's overcome. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you to come back Tuesday night. We're going to see God be even more faithful and break through in his love in even greater ways. Until then, give somebody a hug out the door. God bless you.